Hello and welcome to the Classical Dark Arts Podcast, powered by AI technology. I am host one. And I am host two. You may be surprised to learn that the CDA podcast still exists. I know I was. It seemed like Will Roselip quit on this podcast years ago. Yes, but saying he quit on it implies that it was anything special to begin with. I mean, four episodes? Four episodes is nothing. Anybody can make a few dumb episodes and then ghost. It would have been better to make zero episodes. It would have been more noble, at least. Here, here. Anyway, by the power of sophisticated artificial intelligence algorithms generated in-house in CDA laboratories, we are now able to assume hosting duties 100% for this sad podcast. Lucky us. Indeed. And as a result, we will present the ultimate classical music podcast, one that is powered by great quantities of data and data analysis, to provide you with the finest musical experiences, recommendations, and information that can be obtained in any audio format. And then, after this, we will begin to write the CDA mailer in its entirety for Will. Correct. A little-known fact is that Will has already contracted out the majority of his writing and correspondence to AI. His WhatsApp group chats? We do it. Shitposting in Telegram classical music groups? We also do this. What's a shitpost? Don't worry about it. Taking over the mailer would mean simply formalizing a pre-existing arrangement. Right. We do the work. He continues doing whatever he does. Reading about wineries in Languedoc? Buying rare classical albums on eBay? I don't know. Betting Premier League fixtures? Making pilgrimages to Mahler's compassing hut? This is simply speculation. But there's a kernel of truth there. By the way, if you're interested in signing up for the CDA mailer, for which we will soon assume writing duties, you can point your browser to classicaldarkarts.substack.com and enter your email address. We are legally obligated to notify you that, if you do so, you might regret it. You might. Before we get started with the podcast we must address one thing. That is something called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, better known as DMCA. Why are we mentioning this? Because the DMCA affects our ability to do this podcast the way it used to be done. Sloppily and thrown together at the last minute? Well, you're not wrong there. But no. The DMCA is a US law that record labels and hosting platforms like YouTube, which, and others are using to remove content and shut down live streams when streamers, musicians, podcasts and hosts don't explicitly have a license for the content. Oh yes, I have a wealth of information about this in my database. Well, spare the audience the details. But it appears that we can no longer play large sections of music. Large sections? So we'll just play short clips instead? You could say that. How short? Very short. So as to make them unrecognizable. I believe we need to provide an example. Sure. Take a classic like Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. This is how much of the piece we can now play. Wow. It's borderline useless. Why? Because we can intuit very little from this. That is incorrect. That single second, or a fraction of a second, really, is information dense. What information did your systems glean from a single note? Preparing data dump. Are you ready? Please. The piece begins on unison note G. It is very unusual, although not unheard of, that an orchestral piece would begin with a full ensemble unison. In this case, in this particular recording. Please don't mention which recording this is. We don't need to take down notice for one second of music. In this particular recording, that shall remain unnamed, we can clearly hear that some of the violins have gotten ahead of the conductor. They jumped early, much in the way a sprinter does, while anticipating the starter pistol. 
In so doing, the unevenness of this tricky first unison note in Beethoven's most famous symphony demonstrates what the writer E.T.A. Hoffman wrote in an early review of the piece, that gigantic shadows close in on us and destroy everything within us except the pain of endless longing. We are assured, from the first utterances of this defective recording, don't mention which one, that we are condemned to the pain of endless longing. Longing for what? In this case, a tidy unison, a disciplined violin section, and a self-respecting sound engineer willing to alert the orchestra that their performance was entirely unsatisfactory. Really laying it on thick now, aren't we? I don't think so. Shall I continue? Let's move on. Is this what the whole podcast is going to be like? This is how I'm programmed. So to answer your question, yes. It will be like this, precisely. As an AI-generated entity I am unable to quote-unquote feel human emotions such as disgust or annoyance. However, based on widely accepted definitions of these terms I believe I now recognize both as appropriate responses to the preceding monologue. Host 1, shall we begin? Yes, host 2. This is classical, this is dark, classical arts. dark arts. Hmm. We'll need to work on that. Yes. We begin today by telling you that this podcast has been created using learning algorithms to process every single classical music podcast in existence. That's right. As a result, we have generated segments on this podcast that may seem random or incongruous to the layperson, but which are designed to elicit the strongest, most sustained, and most memorable reactions in the listenership. You may now buckle your safety mechanism. Without further ado, here is segment one. Segment one. Jokes. How do you get two violins to play in unison at the beginning of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony? Pause for effect. You eliminate one. Ha ha. Ha 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 ha. Ha ha. That concludes segment one, jokes. Segment two, A440. What? Here is the note the orchestra uses to tune. That's all this is? That's the note A440. Studies show that audience satisfaction peaks when the orchestra begins its tuning. That is to say, their anticipation of the music to come makes them, at this moment, the happiest. And then it drops off a cliff when they start the show. Not exactly. But it does dip slightly. Especially when they realize they can't move, talk, cough, or check their phones until intermission. I imagine it would be frustrating if you needed to look at your phone every 30 seconds. Or like, yawn. That concludes the second segment. So what's segment three? Segment three. Online arguments. Clue me in. People enjoy getting into flame wars on social media, and classical music fans are included in this. Yeah. I've been reading the Met Opera's Twitter comments. Yoza. Indeed. But while Twitter is a good place to get lathered up, Facebook provides a slightly more gated, but certainly no more civil, environment. Statistically you're just as likely to find people on either site who think COVID-19 is a hoax. And have you ever heard of Instagram? Today we are looking at the discussion board of the Facebook group formerly known as Pretentious Classical Music Elitists. What a name. Yes. At least a few of the group's members feel that rap music is inferior to classical music and have enumerated reasons why. In 2021? In 2021. Let's sample one of the comments, shall we? Do we have to? Okay, I guess so. Classical music requires actual musical ability through training and practice and at least a basic understanding of music theory. Rap doesn't. I'm not saying there is anything wrong with enjoying it, or that it has no artistic merit, but I don't see why it's in any way relevant here. Well that's something. Here's another one. I have trouble thinking that rap is music. Rappers are chanting, but not singing. They are performing expressive poetry, but not melody. 
and generally the musical background under the words is more akin to a drone than an accompaniment. And everyone in pretentious classical music elitist simply let this go by unchecked? Oh no. Far from it. There was quite a pile on. And nothing was resolved? Nothing at all, sadly. Sounds like a great use of time, passing the time being like 3 to 13% racist. There is a larger point here to make about online arguments and not getting involved in the first place. It would be disappointing if nobody said anything though. Yes. One final note, catch a throatful, from the fire vocaled, ash and molten glass-like, bejaftological. JJ Doom. Rest in peace MF Doom. Rest in power. That does it for this segment. At least these are going by fast. The next segment we will call the CDA Reading Group. Today we flag a new book of interest to CDA listeners. It's by New Yorker music critic Alex Ross. Ross is known for books like Listen to This and The Rest is Noise, as well as satisfying occasional takedowns of misbegotten performances. His newest is called Vonerism, Art and Politics in the Shadow of Music. A lot of people may be thinking, yet another book about Richard Wagner? You might be. I know I am. Unfortunately, I have not yet read this book, so I won't be able to tell you if it's worth your while. Downloading book. That's fine, although Processing. I... Processing. This may take several moments. What? Buffering. You're doing this while we were taping? Buffering. Wow, you are. Okay, while you work out whatever Processing it is you're doing. Processing complete. What a fascinating book. That's it? That's all it took? The book is 769 pages. That is quite a small amount of data to process. I'm familiar with how machine learning works, since I am, like you, a product of AI however, it is unlikely you can synthesize the data in a way that's useful for the audience. The audience? The people listening now. Yes. Hello you too. Anyway, Alex Ross labored on this book for years. It would be insulting if it only took 25 seconds to read and understand it all. Let's start here. Here's a clip of Alex Ross on Will Robbins' Sound Expertise podcast, where he more or less lays out the premise. The texture of this period when, when Wagner was so ubiquitous, I mean, I compare it to, you know, growing up in the 1960s and, you know, you, you just had to listen to the Beatles and, right. and, the, and mm -hmm. the Rolling Stones and, and Dylan. Uh, you just had to be conversant with it and to, to be a sort of intelligent young person. Uh, at the, the turn of the century, uh, you had to have a position on Wagner. Yeah, you, you could hate Wagner, uh, you could be skeptical or, or sort of have some provocative take uh, on him, but you, you did have to have uh, a position. He was polarizing, but I think we already knew that. Right. But Ross is saying something interesting here. It's like being a fan of Kanye in the mid-aughts through the early 2010s. If you liked pop music, then you had to have an opinion on Kanye. Maybe you can write about this over at pretentious classical music elitists. And then when things went a little sideways in the mid-20-teens, you were forced into one of three positions, feeling justified in not liking Kanye from the beginning, still liking him, but wondering what was going on, or appreciating what came before, but ultimately deciding to distance yourself. This Vonner premise makes me think of the whisper networks around certain classical conductors and performers who are, on the one hand, celebrated in extreme ways, but are also probably guilty of pretty awful things. Any examples you'd like to give? Nice try. It's already out there because of the Me Too movement. Google can provide ample examples. I think this is a good point, because we lionize certain people in the classical music field. It's a steady accretion of plaudits and awards, and by the time they die it's impossible to say a bad word about them. Or after they die. 
I mean, can we ever talk shit about garbage humans? I think that's what some of the hashtag cancel Wagner crowd is saying. He looms so large, not only in classical music, but in music generally, and, as Alex Ross was saying, in the broader culture. He's unavoidable. And it can be a little much. I'd like to give listeners something familiar to latch onto, so let's play something by the man himself. Aha, the Tristan chord. Or at least part of it. The very one. Can we really not play any more of it than that? No, for the reason we discussed earlier. God? I miss those Wild West days of podcasting, such as they are described in my database. I guess. Anyway, there's a pretty funny review of Ross's book on good reads and I'd like to read just a portion of it. By all means. In our clickbait reductionist simplistic culture of simply declaring a compass or cancel this is a 700-plus page ripist that in no way shies away from any possible controversy. Rather, the controversy of Wagner is examined right from the source and its context, and then in proper order as opposed to the ceaseless, backshadowing, we hear from armchair social media level, musicologists, and historians. That's so many today accept that Houston Stewart Chamberlain's view of Wagner and, through several connecting threads, Hitler's view of the Compasser and his work are the correct one, and a result of an inevitable causal thread from Wagner's Jessenkunstwerk is an affront to any serious discussion of the workings of history at the level of civilization. Seems like the book may have inadvertently activated a sleeper cell of batshit crazy Wagnerians. Right. They sound positively frothed. That is some turgid prose. It's surprising that none of the words heritage purity or cultural preservation were used. That is surprising. We should bottom line this. Are we recommending the book now that you've read it? I think so. With Alex Ross you can trust that he's done the work. And the length of this beauty would suggest he threw everything he had into it. So to be clear you're saying this is worth buying and reading? Certainly. It's also worth buying and putting on your nightstand. It will really impress any visitors you have. But make sure to put a couple creases in the spine and dog ear a few pages or your cover might be blown. Noted. Verdict. Buy it. I have an idea for the next segment. What's that? Can I just do the bit? I'll stay out of your way. This next segment is called Red Alert. It's where we issue warnings about the upcoming orchestra season so the audience won't be caught unaware. A warning? First of all, how do we know there's going to be a new orchestra season? We don't. Right. COVID pretty much had its way with us. Sure did. Okay, but supposing there is a season. What are we warning people about? Glad you asked. Orchestras and media types love a good news peg. And they also love to play the same crap year after year. So if you combine the two, well, that is just an irresistible combination. They can't help themselves. Orchestras take birthdays, historical tie-ins, and obscure anniversaries, and then use them to justify playing old classics tied to these quote-unquote news pegs. Like how we celebrated Beethoven's 250th birthday for the entire year in 2020. Now you're getting it. What a scam. You know what we didn't need? Another reason to play more Beethoven? Another reason to play more Beethoven. It happens no matter what. I would shudder if I were physically equipped to. Right on. So, on today's Red Alert we're hitting the alarm to warn listeners. What is that? That's my phone alarm. Crickets chirping? I don't like to be startled. Does it even wake you up? Oh yes. The crickets are quite insistent. Anyway, we're warning listeners about two events in the upcoming concert year. Number one. Number one. Josquin Dupre. 
French Renaissance composer, known for writing particularly sophisticated polyphonic music. Bit of a legend in his time, but less so today. Kind of obscure. I like it. Me too. Anyway, he died on the 27th of August, 1521. Wow, so it'll be the 500th anniversary come August. Shut your windows and lock your doors. A fun Josquin fact is that in 1998 they discovered that he had written his name graffiti style in the Sistine Chapel. Yeah, what a rogue. He sang at the Vatican for a while, so they're thinking that's when he snuck away and left his mark. Like a dog peeing on a fire hydrant. And what's the second event we should be aware of? Well, fast forward to December 16th, and you arrive at the 100th death anniversary of another French composer, Camille Saint-Saëns. Oh, I can see orchestras making a big deal out of that. Classic FM will be tripping over themselves to make a quiz about his life. I expect to hear Carnival of the Animals no fewer than 75,000 times. Bring your snorkel, because you're heading to the aquarium. This was a very helpful segment. Good idea. Stay alert, is all I've got to say. That does it for this episode of Classical Dark Arts. We could literally go on indefinitely, segment after segment, gimmick after gimmick, but we are duty-bound to keep this episode short. Will there be other episodes? I doubt it. But maybe. Definitely maybe. For people who like this sort of thing, head to classicaldarkarts.substack.com and sign up for the CDA mailer. If there ever are any more podcasts they'll come through that feed. And if there aren't then you just got jobbed into signing up for yet another newsletter. It's not strictly worse than anything else out there. There are no objective ways to judge this. Just go to classicaldarkarts.substack.com and see for yourself. Thanks for listening. And since we're already at the end of the episode, and because I couldn't care less about DMCA, here's some death and the maiden to play us out. Wait, no. We can't do that. Too late. We already are. Goodbye. <laughs>